I've read from multiple sources that this is like based on the Odyssey and it's supposed to be vaguely reminiscent of like Odysseus's journey combined with like I just finished Ulysses too which is also based on the Odyssey and I have to just admit I have no fucking idea what it means to be based on the Odyssey <laughs> I de- I definitely don't get If you're going to San Francisco Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 560 with a review of The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Um, this week, as we mentioned in our last review of Rocket Man, um, this is in limited release right now. I don't know when or if this is coming wide. <laughs> um, this seems like a very targeted film. Yeah, I, I think it did well enough at Sundance, though. It's going to find its way through the country. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the film The Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, which is a San Francisco-based film, and uh, <laughs> as you might have guessed from the title. Um, but yeah, we are going to be talking about it. Um, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and then we're going to come back and give you a review. We built these ships, dredged these canals, in the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. You two stick together. always come back to the old house what if it's empty what if we just peeked inside we could throw parties you can put on one of your plays we can yell it is this house our house that's not your old house and that's not your neighborhood hey if you're going So that was the trailer for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It is essentially the story of a young man who is sort of like taking care of this house that has existed in his – he remembers living there as a child. Um, There is some family living it and he kind of comes by the house all the time, fixes it up and stuff like that. And uh, the house suddenly becomes vacant due to reasons and he decides that he wants to try to just move in and squat in it. Um, And uh, it's sort of the story of – him, the city of San Francisco, and his fondness and memory of the history of this house. 
Um, Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Last Black Man in San Francisco? All right. So as soon as the trailer for this movie dropped, which I've never seen, uh, Carson texted me and he said, this is definitely the most Stephen movie of the year. Um, and I don't think he was right in the sense that I would have expected it because this is not like on the nose emotional in the way that my brand usually is. Yeah. But I also think maybe he knows something I don't know because I like really love this movie. I was <laughs> I was super into this movie. And it is it is not what you would expect when you read the synopsis and you think this is going to be an aching film about gentrification, about complicated feelings of home. This is going to be a movie about someone like trying to keep their place in the city. When you think that, you think this will be very directly emotional. This is going to have lots of scenes of like big outbursts like this is going to show like high highs and low lows and this movie opts for a much more surreal meditative feeling instead like it in a weird way it kind of reminded me of patterson in the idea that it takes like a regular place and just like heightens it up a couple notches and then lets you like soak in the poetry of the weirdness of the life that you're living in It, it is sort of like if you took patterson and you only existed in Patterson's head without the context of his girlfriend, right? Yeah. Like, she adds a different subtext in this film that this film is... It, lacking is not the right word, but just right. foregoes all together. Yeah, yeah. But I, now that you've said that, I can totally feel that. Yeah. Um, I, I was almost going to compare it to a, a movie that just came out of Cannes, but I won't because that would be too pretentious. Uh, <laughs> any, anyway. Instead, I'm just going to reference that I could have done that. There are things about this movie that are... A lot of the the humor of this movie comes from pure composition, right? It's just like camera in a brightly lit outdoor place with main character, Jimmy fails and something happening next to him and us watching him react to the city that he lives in. And it has an almost like silent movie humor to it in that way, where there's something just like, it isn't like laugh out loud, funny, but it's very endearing in the way that it tries to depict a city. And I think, over the course of the film, it really gets to a lot of complicated truths about the the love-hate relationship you have with this place. I think this is definitely a movie about gentrification. It, it, it is clear what, quote, side that this film is on. Not that I know many people who would come out on the, quote, other side. Um, <laughs> and, like, it definitely wants to tackle that head-on, like, uh, their life down in Hunter's Point when you compare that to the life up in like the Fillmore and the the millionaires moving in there. There are lots of very keenly observed details. Like the moment, there's a moment when there's a a naked guy who sits on a bus stop next to Jimmy. And in a normal movie that is satirizing San Francisco, that would be the punchline, right? That would be the end of it is (laughs) look at this naked dude. Ha ha. But the real target of that scene is the cable car of the bros. party bus, cable yeah, the, car, the yeah. party bus of bros and lanyards. So they were clearly in for a conference. Who stop and start laughing at the naked guy, shouting, "This guy fucks! This yeah. guy fucks!" And that is like, "Fuck you, you got it!" Like, yeah, like yeah. you nailed the three very different things about this city. <laughs> well, I mean, in addition to it, like just that particular line's use in general. Plus, like I have seen that party trolley thing yeah. so many times, and. Exactly was like what the fuck are yeah, these like people taking, doing? Yeah, like taking taking the Silicon Valley thing and being like, "Oh, I'm the fucking asshole who would have said that four years ago." Yeah, um, it's just this movie is so specific. It is it, like blind spotting. It is completely obvious that this is made by people who like grew up here, who know this place intimately, and I think it 
it's like a really beautiful picture of the things that make San Francisco infuriating and beautiful and quirky and strange. Yeah. Um, the the shots of the city, like I'm not sure I've ever seen the city depicted in a movie with this much like specific feeling of a place and like the th- the aspects of the city that you would recognize from living here, like not focusing on the Golden Gate Bridge, not focusing on Twin Peaks or Golden Gate Park, but focusing on like the billboards and particular corners and like yeah. the way the way the park that goes by the bay looks when you're driving by it. And there's just there's something that I really loved that I don't know how it would translate to a national audience, but for me, I was just really, really soaking it up. And I think the the characters are really interesting too, because much like the the film is very surreal and the acting style is also it, it's like tender in a different way. Like like characters, especially uh, Montgomery, the the best friend of Jimmy, he's kind of off in his own world, right? And they're yeah. both enjoying this like creative playing in the streets of SF and playing in their new house that they live together, almost like kids, right? That are like reigniting their feelings. Yeah. There's Um, this great scene where they're just running through this empty apartment, screaming at the top of their lungs, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I I think, I don't know. There's just something very, very like complicated and loving about the way that this depicts the, like the sadness of being shoved out of the place that you knew and the feeling that, it's yours, right? That you deserve it at least as much as anyone else, probably more. And I think it, the movie is really summed up in a line that I almost feel bad spoiling because it's toward the end of the movie. But like, it's definitely the thesis of the film, which is like someone Thora Birch is hating on San Francisco, clearly as someone who moved here for a job like recently, and she's trashing like that's dirty, that there's the people on the street. I forget exactly what she says, but it's something like that. And like Jimmy says, like, do you love it? you don't get to hate it unless you love it. Yeah. And I, I think that like that line just hit me so hard because that's such like, I thought it was such a powerful summary of like the, I'm not angry because I feel like I am owed something or I hate you or I hate the people that are coming in here. I'm angry because I love this thing and yeah. like seeing it taken away from me. I, I just thought that was like a really, really, really beautiful moment, and the, and the whole movie really builds toward that in a lovely way. So yeah, I it was not at all the tone or the speed that I expected the movie to be, but I I really really loved it. Yeah, I mean, speaking of tone, this film is all over the map. Um, I I don't know what I expected going into it. Um, I I am not a person who shies away from trailers. This was just not a trailer that was beat to death in front of me and i just never saw it and i was like okay well i, I know i'm gonna see this movie i'm just gonna go into it fresh not as like a pur- purposeful mood but just because i, I i'm gonna see it <laughs> the trailer isn't gonna convince me to see it i'm already going to see it i just mm. didn't watch the trailer so like when i went in it was it was wild trying to grok what this film was doing and try to figure out where it's trying to be um because this film is very particular it's almost strange at times what's going on. I found myself trying to figure out like there there is a group of guys that hang out near the yeah. original pad that both yeah, guys the live Greek at. Chorus of yeah, street and shit talkers. I I never understood those guys. Mm-hmm. It w- wasn't until one of them is seen with the rest of them outside of that spot on the street that I was like, okay, so they do know them. I thought it was just. I, at first, I thought it was just like four guys on the street who they would always pass and sort of like 
knew of those guys standing on the street but didn't actually know them personally. Um, and then there's moments later where the, the friend who's like an aspiring director mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of goes and interacts with them. And I was like, is that what they've been doing the whole time? Or is he that just scene is in so a, great. It, you know, it, it's great, but it's so confusing. I have no idea what's going on. Um, I, I think I took them to be... I'll get into the other thing later, but like on the surface, at least I took them to be the example of the feeling that like you maybe don't belong in either place, right? Like they're physically removed and they're just a cluster of people who like, they are no longer a part of their world anymore. Uh, That that was kind of how I imagined them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with this film, it's, I don't, I don't even know how to put it to words, but it's either a film that I enjoyed more than I liked or that I liked more than I enjoyed. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly which direction it goes. I I enjoyed the beat-to-beat moments of this film, and I enjoyed following these characters as I went on. I'm not 100% sure what this film is doing at different times. And I, I think this is a very, like, obviously this is a very specific San Francisco film, but I really can't imagine seeing this film... And really getting anything if I did not move up here, mm. right? Like, I feel I'm trying to imagine, like, me having seen this, having stuck stuck in San Diego, and I would just be like, what the, what the hell did I watch? Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what it's about. Part of that is because of where we go in the narrative, and part of that is just because of the strange relationships that different characters have um, to themselves and the other characters that they're interacting with over the course of the film. But yeah, I, I did find it very endearing. Um, I... Uh, emotionally got me good (laughs) towards the end of the film. Um, There's an event that a bunch of people go to and like, for whatever reason, that like hit me hard. Like I I teared up and stuff. It's definitely a swing for the fences and I I think it it could have definitely fumbled it, but I agree. Like that also worked for me really well. Yeah, it it was just like, this film does so many things and the acting at times can be playful, but even though there is like a, a weird kind of uh, – it's sort of like hyper real, but there is so much authenticity in the lead's acting where it's like even when he is being strange, like where everything feels just off kilter a little bit, like it's like an emotional Dutch angle, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he still is just selling authenticity in his emotions and his feelings and you really pick that up and you feel it and I – I, it's just—it's a weird movie. I am still like dealing yeah. with it, um, but it is an interesting love letter to the city, and it is an interesting ride watching the film and kind of just taking in what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I—I I, I think I enjoyed it, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I think I was too. I was confused by what it was trying to the balance it was trying to strike between its narrative and its feeling mm-hmm. and I'm still wrestling with it but I enjoyed every beat to beat moment of watching this film. Yeah. Yeah, well and I think that makes sense too because this isn't a like I'm I'm sure it's cliche to compare it to blind spotting but I, there's so much to compare it, right? Like, yeah. This is a movie made by two longtime friends, one black and one white, who grew up together in a city in a kind of poor neighborhood and wanted to write a love-hate letter to their hometown. Uh, so, like, it, it obviously, there's a lot to compare yeah. there. Um, I think blind spotting, yeah, if you took just the event, 
uh, in this movie that you referred to, that kind of big emotional event where everyone is present, and extended it to a full movie, it would be blind spotting basically because that is the part of the movie where themes are being very directly uttered by the characters, yeah. And you are having emotional moments. They're they're heightened by the like the dramatic reason for them being there, but it's still people directly looking at each other and saying, "This is how I feel." Um, I think Blind Spotting chose a very personal, emotional way to tell its story, and this movie is choosing. It's still personal, but it's in a artistic way. It's like a, a personal idea that this is how I want to depict my city, and I think it chose a more a more challenging route that isn't as directly emotional. Like it didn't get me as hard as like the spoken word scene in Blind Spotting did, or anything yeah. like that. I think. I think it wants to be what it is, though. It wants to be a movie that kind of gnaws away at you and, like, it leaves you with images and feelings and then it, like, you can unpack it over days later. Um, and I respect that. I think especially as a debut film, that's, like, a that's a bold choice. So I don't know if you looked up anything about this movie, but... Um, no. So Jimmy Fails is played by Jimmy Fails. Uh, it's his first time ever acting, and it's based on his life. So okay. the... The literal premise of the movie of what he does isn't true, but his family heritage and family story, that all is true. And he met the director. Like all of it or the basic premise? The basic, the basic okay. premise. Um, and he met, the, he met the director, Joe Talbot, when he and his family lost their home in the Fillmore and he had to move into public housing. Gotcha. Uh, and that's where he met his friend, who was an aspiring director, who I imagine is who the character of Montgomery is loosely based on, at least. Um, and yeah, there's just a lot there that it seemed... I watched this movie and imagine the two leads being the ones who make the movie. And that kind of gives me this like closed loop of... Yeah. There's the... There's the quirkiness because that is exactly what they would do if they wanted to communicate this, right? Yeah. Um, so my... my... I'm going to ask you this as ambiguously as possible because I don't want to spoil anything for this film. But how do you reconcile that against like the last shot of this film? <laughs> right. I, so I think this movie, it's surreal and wish fulfillment isn't the right word. But I think the movie takes the, the life of Jimmy Fails where he begins in the film as a launching point. And then any future that happens is completely the movie just wanting to express, like, here's how I feel. Here's what I wish I could do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how I would reconcile that. Okay. So one, so one one thing that I'm not smart enough to understand is, so I called the Friends the Greek Chorus uh, because I've read from multiple sources that this is, like, based on the Odyssey and it's supposed to be vaguely reminiscent of, like, Odysseus's journey. Combined with, like, I just finished Ulysses 2, which is also based on the Odyssey. And I have to just admit, I have no fucking idea what it means to be based on the Odyssey. <laughs> I, de I definitely don't get... I don't see how this is an epic quest in that sense, except for just the most general idea of he wants to accomplish something and he's going to try to do it. So is the priest character the Sirens? Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who Cersei is in this movie. I don't know. I, I don't know anything. Um but but yeah, I liked a lot of just the the shots of the city. Uh, like we talked about the outdoor ones. There's a beautiful scene of him skateboarding down California Street that I yeah. think is just like which I, I couldn't help but go. There's never not been cars on that street. Yeah, before. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that too. Like you must have been able to close this block for a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I liked. Uh, th there was a shot 
so I watched this at Alamo. I think you probably did too. Yeah, yeah. And it had to be intentional that there is a shot when they're talking with a kind of douchey real estate guy. And out his window, you are looking at that Alamo. So it was filmed like across the street. Um, yeah. It, it felt – it was almost so much that I was wondering like did did like Draft House like partner with this movie at all? Did they fund part of it? And I don't think they did. If they did, that would be like product placement in a kind of strange way. Um, but then <laughs> Only it, the people who are in the yeah, building Yeah, because it's only in a big shot. Like you wouldn't know what it is unless yeah. you knew that you were sitting there. Uh, but I don't know, there was just so much specificity to it that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I think the the family moments between Montgomery and uh, uh, Danny Glover, his dad, I think, or maybe his grandfather. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure the relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really know. Uh, but I thought those were really lovely and tender. Yeah. Um, just the whole movie, it, it like I keep coming back to Patterson because it's really like turning the dial down to, yeah. like, extra slow. <laughs> if you replace the buses in Patterson with a skateboard, yeah. you have a weird, bizarro version of this film. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's just, it, it's seeing the, the poetry in everyday life. Yeah. But in this case, it's also paired with clear, like, anger about where he was and what he's had to live through and what he's, like, losing. And that there's a whole arc that we can't really go into without spoiling it about his friend Kofi and stuff that kind of... It, that isn't directly about – it isn't about gentrification in the obvious sense, but it's about, like, displaced communities and, like, what happens to us in our lives and, like, what makes us grow in different ways than these happy-go-lucky people who are, like, living in this idyllic neighborhood. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I thought it was really, really good. And I have no fucking idea how anyone who doesn't live here is going to think about it. Yeah, yeah. It d- definitely seems um, – it seems – a film made by people who made a film for themselves, right? And I think while there may be universal themes in it, it does ring as this, like, these these people wanted to make something and they made a thing that was for them. And, like, not that they don't care if anybody sees it the way they see it, but it is a very specific film in a lot of ways, which is um, both good and potentially bad, depending on who you are and how you're watching this okay. film. So I have to ask how much of your time watching the movie was spent trying to figure out where they shot different things. Uh, so some of the places, even though I didn't recognize the build, like I, I knew the Hunter's Point stuff had to be in Hunter's Point just because yeah. I vaguely have, I know about the supposed like radiation. Right. Shit. Um, uh, the, for me, the, <laughs> this is, Probably sad, but uh, my uh, there is a shot looking away from my favorite spot in the city, mm-hmm. um, which I recognize from the bike rack. <laughs> it was like bike rack, the fence, the parking little structure across the street, and then the giant stop sign logo. And I was like, oh shit, that's right across from McKellar. <laughs> oh and, yeah, 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 and like I'm sure that says probably a bad thing that like I recognize the that, spot from being like. That's where the homeless guy was singing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's where he gives the skate. Yeah, he gives the skateboard to the guy. Like it's literally outside of the front door of McKellar, and I'm like, oh, cool. My like most gentrified spot in the city is the thing that like stuck out to me the most. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, like it, there, there's, it is interesting, kind of seeing all the places and even the places I'm not super familiar with because I don't go there constantly. I still recognize them, and it does feel like this place. Um, I. Obviously, I didn't grow up here. I've only been here for a few years. I do love the city. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've never been in the I hate the city. I've definitely been in the I hate traffic point of view or something sure. like that. But I I love everything about this city that I've experienced. Um, and I'm very grateful to like be able to live, live up here. Yeah. But yeah, it is, 
it is interesting. We have seen a lot of films over the last couple of years that are either set in San Francisco or involve San Francisco um, or television shows and whatnot. But this is the first one that like feels experientially like it knows this place and is yeah. not just set, set here, which is kind of cool. So. Yeah. So I would recommend if you haven't seen uh, Medicine for Melancholy yet, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely the other touchstone that is like the very local San Francisco movie. Yeah, at, they were they were playing clips from it and stuff oh, at nice. the Alamo before before yeah. it started. Um, yeah, see, this is outing me as someone who showed up right when the movie started. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I I definitely want to take time and check that out. So I couldn't tell where his aunt lives. They go, was she like in Castro Valley or something? So that yeah, that was they take a Bart, I think. But then it looked like nowhere I've ever seen before. Yeah, I I wasn't sure at all where that is. Um, so, I mean, it's on like just a street somewhere. So there's like literally no context clues for where it is. Um, but even that's even that scene was great. Just yeah. her and her boyfriend, I guess, doing the skateboard tricks. I don't know why that was so funny to me. Do the trick, baby. <laughs> so, so one other thing I'll say, and again. I, it's hard without giving away spoilers to the movie, but when you when the movie opens and or you read the premise of the film, it feels like it's going to be a very cut and dry economic, like socioeconomic justice movie, yeah. right? Of like, this is the thing that was taken from his family. He's going to fight to win it, win it back. That you know, straightforward premise, right? And I think over the course of the film, especially toward the end, as different things are revealed, the movie intentionally gets a lot more complicated than that. Like, yeah. Like, this is a movie that I think wants you to wrestle with the idea of ownership and who belongs where and what makes what makes me as an outsider coming in feel that I deserve a place or what makes me not deserve a place, right? And I think it... I don't think this is a movie that is trying to give a clear answer to it. It's trying to, like, push really hard at the intractability of it all and say, like... These are all the feelings at stake. I don't have any answer, but I love this city, and it makes me hate it. <laughs> and I, I, I just thought that was a really, really interesting route to go. Like it, it doesn't settle for just like direct, like like explicitly driving a stake in the ground and saying like feel this way. End of story. It's a movie that really is trying to like make you turn things over in your head and wrestle with like how you feel about events which i respect i think that's that's a more bold choice to make yeah it is it is kind of weird because i feel like that is that is the elevator pitch that lets people program this film mm -hmm. but i feel like it's a very small subset of what the film is doing overall, right? Like, that's sort of, like, the driving force of the character. But his experience to the city is outside of just this one house. Like, right. the house exists more of, like, a Moby Dick sort of situation where it's, like, this is his white whale. Yeah, yeah. That he is... All things are governed by his desire to hunt down this one thing. Mm -hmm. And his narrative path is, like, winding and weaving over that. And he's always driven by that. But he's also experiencing this city... Yeah. And having these moment-to-moment -moment things and doing his own thing with his friend and just sort of, like, having a mild existence of just, like, being with close personal friends and family and doing things like that. So there's mm – -hmm. there's, it's like a dream that he's trying to attain. But 
he doesn't necessarily know why he's trying to attain it, mm-hmm. right? It's just like the thing that's there that he has to conquer. And I, I don't know, there's that's part of why I was so confused, I think, by the film. It's just like, and not necessarily in a bad way, just I was, I thought I knew walking into it what I was watching, and what I was watching was something wildly different than yeah. that. And it's, I'm not sure what it's saying. <laughs> yeah, I, so I think the, you're right, the house is kind of the white whale I do think it like heavily informs how he feels about the city and vice versa. Like I think the tone the tone is someone who loves a place and also feels it like getting a bit more distant from him. Yeah. Right? It, it's like he's watching it through like glass or something like that. And I think the him clinging to the home is kind of like clinging to your sense of belonging in a place. And I think yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's hard without spoilers, and I don't know if I want to do a spoiler section for for this. But it, it it's something where I think I think the house is like a literal thing, and it's also a metaphor for the feeling of belonging in a place and the feeling of like it being yours. Yeah, and it's he. I don't think he leaves it open ended in the sense that I don't think he's saying, "Hey, maybe gentrifiers are fine." Uh, yeah. like, like I don't think that is an option. But I think he is definitely saying like what is it about my life that makes me feel this is mine, right? Like, what makes a place mine versus yours? And I think it's just, like, prodding at that feeling of, like, what is the sum of things that makes me take ownership of a certain location? Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's... There is some complicated stuff, too, just about, like... And I'm working through this in my head in (laughs) in real time, so please forgive me. Um, But, like... Even the backstory for how the house came to be involves being an outsider who mm-hmm. takes up stakes within a place that he doesn't necessarily belong. Like the film is called The Last Black Man in San Francisco and spoilers, it's tangentially related to the first black man yeah. in San Francisco, quote unquote, right? Um, so I mean, there, there's there's a lot of weird, complicated like thing. Like the cyclic nature of displacement. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah. So there, there's a lot that is happening in this film. And even the people who currently live in it at the time that this film starts are not upkeeping the place. They're letting it just go to shambles. So it's not exactly the height of trying to show off your wealth. Mm-hmm. It's people not appreciating the thing that they have, right? right? So there, there's it's, – it's doing a whole lot yeah. with a single piece of imagery and it takes time to process all of that. Yeah. So – yeah, I agree. <laughs> cool. Well, shall we get to verdicts for this film? Sure. All right, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give us a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, this is definitely a must-see for me. I think it's just, it's a very targeted film that it, it has a feeling it wants to convey, and I think it does just such a good job of committing to it. I think it's very moving, and it's moving in a very sneaky way, where from scene to scene, you won't really know why you're feeling what you're feeling. At least I didn't. If if you're looking for this to be a courtroom drama or this to be a big, like, <laughs> On stand the, up the nature and, of squatters' rights in California. Yeah, like, stand up and cheer about squatters' rights. Like, th- this is not that movie. This is a movie that is about, v- like, hard-to-pin-down feelings of time and place, and I just think it's done in like a really, really beautiful, ingenious way. And like, I'm really excited to watch this movie again when it comes out on streaming. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to give it a record with a caveat. Um, I thought it was a very interesting film that I very much enjoyed beat to beat. Um, I'm still chewing over it. Um, I, I think the caveat is there hugely because I have no idea how, how you watch this film with zero context for the city at all. Mm-hmm. Not even to say that I know this city well, because clearly I don't. I've only been here like four years. But I feel this is a very, very, very specific film. And even some of the things that are not expressly said, I only know in passing. Like mm-hmm. even the Hunter's Point stuff, I don't even remember why I know that. Right. <laughs> it's like a joke somebody made in the office like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just happen to be like, oh, I get it. This is Hunter's point. Um, so I, I like I, I just so much of this film is a acknowledgement of what this city is, and if you don't have a fondness or even a hate for the city, not everything in this film will connect to you. Um, you will get the underlying themes, maybe. Um, but I, this film is so much more than just its themes, and I don't know how you watch this film without having some of that feeling. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I'm going to confess that for most of the movie, I thought their original location was like the Potrero Projects, just on the other side of Potrero Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I like went home and looked on Google Maps that I was like, oh, it's Hunter's Point, of course. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I, I... Mileage may vary for people watching this film, but it's doing a lot of interesting things and it's worth a watch. Um, and I think even if you're extremely confused by the film and don't know what it's doing, it still has some humor and some emotional staying power at certain points in the film to make it a worthwhile watch. So cool. Um, well, that is the end of our review of the last black man in San Francisco. Um, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people want to find me, they can go to the apartment right across from the <laughs> douchebag real estate agent's office. Um, or they can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Uh, people can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from, technically the sound, soundtrack isn't out, but we know one of the songs that was featured in, in the film, so that is playing. It will most definitely get our uh, video flagged on YouTube for mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, some sort of infringement. Um, but yes, we are enjoying that. We are enjoying you guys listening to us. Yeah. and um, feels good to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's good to be back for the two weeks that we'll have normalcy, and then... Um, I will be gone for a little now, bit. Now, are you going to call me from Ireland? Um, I... Putting, holding your feet to the fire right <laughs> here on the podcast. Uh, we'll see what happens when I pack my bag for like the two weeks. I don't want to be there. Mm. <laughs> and, and there's somebody I have to run it by first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see. At the very least, I believe. If we can schedule it, there will be a stand-in for me while I'm gone. Ooh. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot for a second. 
I like that it was a surprise for Stephen. We don't have to say it out loud because they haven't confirmed yet. Right. Um, but uh, there will probably be somebody standing in for a review of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, but uh, yeah, then we'll be back after that. And then I don't know what's coming out the rest of the time I haven't been checking. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next time. Summertime will be a love in there. That was good. Thank you, sir. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs>